And we're live. Georgie Dinkov, how are you, sir? Still afloat, still <laughs> annoying the powers that be. We, <laughs> still I was, getting angry emails every day. Oh, same here, same here. I, we were just talking, and I'm dumbfounded that BPA is in paper towels. I'm like sh literally shocked. I don't know why I'm shocked, but I am. It's that's a big revelation because I use many paper towels. I'm poisoning myself every day. You know, big pharma has basically wants to make sure that no matter where you go and what you do, it stays with you forever. <laughs> Yeah, man. Okay, so we'll give us an update on DC. What's what's happening there? Uh, not much. It's kind of like you know, early quiet before the storm. The DC mayor just extended the state of emergency Is that the, until the January, that January like, 7, twenty two. Looks like Beetlejuice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, basically, <laughs> nothing's really. Um, well, there was a slight chance that she may not extend it, but. Um, I think the main reason here is that uh, as part of extended state of emergency, you you remain eligible for federal funds, pandemic related funds, um, did, did, and DC is not going to pass on that. You know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you ever hear about the uh, pandemic bonds that were that banks no, and stuff? No. I can't really articulately explain what it was, but it's some scam that happened that they were selling pandemic bonds to countries, and then basically. The coronavirus, like they cashed out on these bonds that they had sold to very, it's like the shadiest thing you've ever heard in your entire life. But, but there must have been some uh, foreknowledge that coronavirus, of course, was going to happen because these bonds were sold by, I think, by central banks. Uh, but somebody correct me in the comments if I'm wrong on it. I mean, so, something similar happened to, uh, after Katrina, even though they couldn't predict it. Um, there was a lot, there were a lot of scams related to bonds and insurance. Um, and basically claiming federal disaster funds, disaster relief funds. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on in Louisiana and I think in uh, Alabama and Mississippi as well. Um, but, um, you know, yeah, I just saw the, it, it was a, it was kind of an announced in between other news that Muro Bowser has decided to extend the DC mayor state of emergency, despite having uh, on average only about 20 cases per 100,000 new <laughs> cases. We're not talking about hospitalizations. We're not talking about deaths. We're not talking about serious cases. These are simply positive cases from the still ridiculously up, uh, 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 jacked up PCR cycle threshold <laughs> of 42. <laughs> so 20 cases per, per 100,000 is sufficient to extend the state of emergency. And then I thought, I shouldn't really be getting angry. I should be grateful because New Zealand locked down the entire country over one case. <laughs> yeah. So it could be much, much worse, you know? Yeah. I, I used to kind of joke with the people in Australia and New Zealand that I talked to, like, ha ha, how is being in prison? Ha ha ha. And like, now it's not even, not, not, not funny. funny. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't make those jokes anymore because it's uh, bleak. And I, I think I would be severely depressed if I was there because there's no light at the end of the tunnel there. You can't even leave. There, yeah. there was there was this article on CNN. Uh, um, I don't even know why they put it there, but basically, uh, it was a bunch of uh, about a bunch of American U.S. citizens, and they can't they could not leave because the restrictions applied to them as well. So if you're in Australia, no matter wh whose citizen you are, and I'm thinking, well, can't you just go to the embassy and kind of like sneak into the American embassy and demand that they kind of ship you out? I think there there has to be some kind of an option. Of, of like shipping you or like flying you out of the country um, as a foreign citizen. Yeah, well, just to confirm, I was talking to somebody in New Zealand who, who was an Australian citizen that could not go back. <laughs> they were wow. like landlocked in New Zealand, which is like another terrible place to be. But so you can't leave and you, and you can't go inside. It's hard to get in and impossible to get to get outside. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, it's just who if, if somebody had said that's going to happen to Australia in 2019, you would have been laughed 
out of the room. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but over like, what? That's the other thing. It's like let's say somebody like a like a again suicide bombers <laughs> crash the plane into Australian Parliament. Sure, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe they get a lockdown. But this is over something even more ridiculous. It's like ten cases per hundred thousand. And yeah. again, just like DC, we're not talking about hospitalizations or deaths. We're talking about simply positive PCR test confirmed cases. This is this is laughable. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it was laughable. At this point, I, I don't know what to say. I guess Australians are probably just not yet willing to risk their lives uh, to essentially sack the government and um, and take matters into their own hands. Well, uh, speaking of vaccines and COVID and corruption, the government of Romania, a northern neighbor of Bulgaria, was summarily sacked by a vote of non-confidence for refusing to do everything possible to up the vaccination rate of Romania, which is second only to Bulgaria, <laughs> proudly <laughs> the least vaccinated country in Europe. Uh, and But the powers that be got angry, I guess. Um, Romania is a much bigger country. It's like 25 million. I guess they were b banking on Romania, buying those vaccines and using them on the population. But no, they're just as vaccine hesitant as the Bulgarians. And the government, which was fairly popular, by the way, only recently elected, uh, quickly got sacked. Vote of non-confidence, which <laughs> goes to tell you that these people have a lot of control over like uh, run-of-the-mill members of parliament in many, many countries. It's not just the, the elite that they control. They control entire parties and entire coalitions that form governments. And they can, I guess they can get rid of a government on a, on a minute notice. Did you, I'm sure you saw it, but on Zero Hedge, they had a clip of um, Biden saying that like, it was like Biden doesn't know that if you're vaccinated, you can still contract. <laughs> that clip was so funny because he was laying it out like, if you only got vaccinated, you'd never get coronavirus. You wouldn't be at least uh, tested, con a confirmed test for it, you know. You're safe from others. You're yeah, yeah. safe for <laughs> others, and none of these things are true. Yeah. But I, try to say that. I mean, you, you, you. At this point, I think YouTube censors anything related to COVID nineteen, unless you are confirmed, um, authenticated uh, public health expert. I know I've said this before, uh, but I do think our days are numbered on here. Like, I think really? things, I, I think things are getting. Uh, they're clamping down, you know, um, well, what, what was, so, so if you guys don't care about this, uh, so-called conspiracy theory talk, just look on the, I always do timestamps for these and you can skip it every single time. But, uh, well, did you make anything of the WhatsApp and the Facebook and the Instagram, uh, down thing? I mean, there was a discussion on, um, on the forum. I don't know if you saw, basically they were saying, is this cyber polygon? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I don't know if you noticed the news, but it wasn't only Facebook, uh, WhatsApp and like Instagram and, and the Facebook properties. Zoom too. Banks. Oh, yeah. Banks were actually having downtime too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. It could have been an internet outage. It could be, you know, just, just as they said, Cyber Polygon. If this ha turns out to be Cyber Polygon, then I don't know how much crazier an idiotic can get. They're just telling you right in front of your eye. They're just uh, laying it out for you and saying, this is what we're going to do. Everybody says, ah, oh, conspiracy theory. And then this is what we actually did. And everybody keeps saying, no, conspiracy theory. <laughs> I mean, at what point does it become ridiculous? Or or I don't know. Um, I, don't, I don't know what actually, what adjective we can use anymore. Insane, ridiculous, absurd, all of these things have already happened, right? And I don't see any change in the in the half of the population that is really gunning for these things. Uh, I don't know if they're basically like if they're so far into the weeds that they now they're saying there's no possible I can admit defeat because that will be the end of me, right? So they're kind of doubling down with every other event 
that's coming out of this, uh, what is it, Agenda 201? Is that the one that really laid it out in the Great Reset? I think so. Yeah, maybe Agenda 2030, is that? 2030, yeah. yeah. Agenda 2030 and the Great Reset, which is on the WEF forum. So I've actually just <laughs> talked to some people today that I know, and I said, we're talking about the conspiracies, and they said, oh, man, yeah, these COVIDians with their, like, uh, the conspiracies <laughs> with their Great Reset stuff. I'm like, what do you mean the conspiracy stuff? I'm like, the president of Canada said officially yeah. on TV several times they are they are actually implementing the Great Reset. Oh, it's just one country. Well, how about this website of the official World Economic Forum that has a slash great dash reset section. Oh, it's probably just a coincidence of naming. It's I mean, it's not coincidence of naming. They're the ones who came up with this. Oh, 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 but, yeah. Sorry, go. go it's, it's I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess at this point, I've already um, kind of accepted that uh, uh, a good deal of my so-called friendships, because you understand you cannot be friends with these people anymore, <laughs> are going down the drain. I mean, there's, there's, there's no salvaging them because, uh, you know, at this point, I've exposed myself as an anti-vaxxer and pro-conspiracy theorist. Just now? Just now? <laughs> well, I mean, like, they've always thought Georgie's crazy, but it's kind of like it's, you know, he's a little bit of, he's a cool crazy. Yeah. Now this guy is, like, out of his mind. He's kind and of a better, cool Bulgarian crazy. That's what he, <laughs> I, I don't know, cool, but, that, but I was tolerable. Let's put it this way. Now I'm kind of, like, offending them, uh, and, and I think the, you know— I mean, I've said these things before. I guess they were simply ignoring me in the past. That's really the, what it comes down to. Now, when when we start exchanging links and these things cannot be ignored anymore, basically, once you really start, and I've noticed, like, once you start sending stuff that they cannot refute, the only option, the only escape is this guy is insane. Or and that's it. And that's, because that's how they can dismiss you and say, I don't need to respond to you. I don't need to deal with you because this is nuts. Or they'll get angry. And the, like that's the common response right, that I right. See. They're not. I mean, they usually go hand in hand. This guy's insane, and if you try to pursue it even further, then at that point they'll get angry. Be like, look, cut it out, and you know we're not we're not talking to you anymore. And attack you personally, like try to break you down as a person. <laughs> <laughs> that it starts with that, Danny. I'm yeah. already like so desensitized to this part. <laughs> what was I going to say? Uh, the funny thing was that whistleblower was completely fraudulent. Like she had a sixty minutes piece, and then. I think the ultimate goal of that so-called whistleblower was for more censorship, like that Facebook needed to, do you know what I'm talking about? That w woman? Yeah. I mean, didn't Facebook attack her? Like Zuckerberg issued some kind of a statement saying, oh, she's been only part of the small group. She can't know all of these things because that her job did not actually entail yeah, but, uh, having access to this information. But, but people were like, so again, this like, uh, I think shows how complicated the narrative is. Like these social media sites go down. And people were like, oh, it's because they're trying to censor the whistleblower. But I don't right. think that was true because this whistleblower got huge exposure. And if she was a real whistleblower, <laughs> like she would have got zero exposure. And and also, I'm saying I think the, the crux of like her whistleblowing was for more censorship like that, right. like right. like that Facebook should do more or some bullshit like that. And besides, what did she what did she reveal that was so earth shattering <laughs> that we didn't already know about Facebook? Like she didn't. You know, if she she had said, uh, I don't know, Mark Zuckerberg uh, clubs baby seals to death, like <laughs> with one hand while he swears in in front of Congress with with the, with another, right? Uh, you know, even though we already know that's true as well, you would have been shocking enough that that it would actually classify it. Uh, it would be qualified as a whistleblowing event. What did she actually say that Facebook prefers money to truth and freedom? Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, how crazy! How uh, yes. <laughs> uh, last thing, um, I was listening to Whitney Webb and the Last American Vagabond dude. I think his name is Ryan. 
And she was laying out a, 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 what I thought was a plausible, um, like kind of segue into the central bank digital currencies. So again, if these cyber attacks keep happening and they try to say like, oh, uh, Bitcoin is used for, to launder money and for criminals and stuff, they'll, uh, that would be a better time to really run that cyber polygon type of thing to like to to do like internet 2.0, like a new type of internet or something, and then roll out these yeah. central bank digital currencies. So again, I don't know what's going to happen, but if anybody's interested in that, they should check out. Um, I mean, the, the, like Catherine Fitz said, first of all, the goal is the end of anonymity online, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you will be required to log in mm-hmm. and uh, and be authenticated to even participate in the official internet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I'm guessing you will not be able to actually get any kind of other service from your internet, from your ISP, uh, other than the official authenticated service. Um, there aren't that many options. Actually, in most places in the United States, it's either a monopoly or oligopoly. You only get like a few cable providers, S- all here. from only yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Say it again? Same here. Only yeah. a few internet And companies. basically, if, 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 that, if, that's the, if that's the behemoth, if, and they're working uh, tightly with the government, if that behemoth says, from you know going, uh, going forward, when you launch your browser, right, you will actually basically will have the software where no matter what website you go to, basically we will inform that website who you really are. Um, and not that they cannot really do it right now because there's this thing about the, the IP address, right? I mean, if if with a subpoena they can quickly identify this. You're not really anonymous on the internet. But I think they will, what they will do is because there's some um, not that not that bad anonymizing services such as Tor, the Tor browser, right, or Freenet. Uh, and various other things like uh, you can use like a like a, a anonymous proxy. Although, although many of these are basically honeypots for the government, um, but they will basically cut this option out as well. So you'll be required every step of the way to be verifying your identity. And then I think that will be the end of anonymous posting. That will be the end of like anonymous commenting. Um, you really, I don't see like the irony is that all of the software that was created here in the United States it was to help dissidents abroad. Like the Tor browser, um, there was this anonymous blogging platform. I forgot what the name is. Uh, the, there's this uh, distributed version of Twitter called Mastodon, yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. All of these things started as projects to help dissidents in heavily authoritarian well, countries. Pro- Proton and now Mail, it looks like it's happening here. There was some article about Proton Mail giving up a bunch of accounts to maybe it's the F- FBI or something. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at this point, if it is a centralized service, uh, you 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 can bet. Uh, the farm <laughs> and everything in it that this service ha- has been compromised. Um, not many people know the story, but the um, there was this uh, company in Switzerland that was selling phone um, conversation encrypting um, software to a device, and then basically there was they started selling this back in the 70s, um, and then the CIA and the NSA immediately totally and completely compromised them and got them to install backdoors. <laughs> and basically they, they started listening in on all this traffic and the technology at the time was so cutting edge, no other company in the world had it. Um, so again, it's it's it will be really naive to to basically assume that something like Proton Mail or any other service that promises you full encryption isn't already backdoored and or compromised. Yeah. Uh, maybe if it's a service that's hosted in Russia or China, in that case, it's compromised and backdoored by the local governments, right? So it's a choice between, um, well, you either the NSA slash the, the CA are, li- are listening to you if you're using any one of the uh, free world mail services or the local governments of Russia and China are listening to you if you're using one of the ones that are hosted there. Well, when Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp went down, Telegram was still up. And so I could 
still chat with people, which was uh, very nice. I just realized still centralized servers. They're in yeah, Dubai, yeah. and I think didn't Microsoft try to buy them recently or something? Oh, like is that? that true? I didn't know that. I just for, I just realized I forgot to record the audio and video. <laughs> so uh, this is going to be a fantastic. Really? I, I have the icon that's being recorded. No, 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 no. Like this is, we'll have a copy on YouTube, but usually I double back up the audio and then I double back oh, up the okay. video. And I guess I forgot to do both. So whatever. Um, okay. Anything else cultural related before we jump into articles? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, everything, just like Ray said, everything appears to be going uh, according to their plan, even even if, if all the little nitty gritty details are not exactly worked out. Great stuff. So on that note, oh, I'll save this for later. Okay, so I have, these are the articles, and then I have the ones you sent me an email to. They're down here. If, if we have time, I mean, I think we have enough to, to cover. I only send these, like, if basically we don't have enough things to discuss. I'm sure we'll be good. What, um, there were some of these that I liked. Uh, do you want to, the SSRI drugs decrease andro- uh, androgens and progesterone? Increase estrogen? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, some of the most popular SSRI drugs on the market are endocrine disruptors. Um, and they act very similarly to the BPA, which we discussed is in paper towels. Which I've been using lots of every day <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> yes. And if you remember that other study would show that, of course, we know that the all of these drugs, because everybody's on some kind of a drug, now they're ending up in the, in the tap water, if you're using tap water. Yeah. Um, even in, in these minute quantities that, of course, FDA and all the EPA are telling you, oh, you're insane if you're worrying about this. <laughs> this is, you know, you can. This is yeah. a d- distiller, by the way, behind me. <laughs> so so speaking of shit in the water. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So even those tiny amounts, <laughs> you remember, they made the crabs in the ocean, which, by the way, they don't exactly live on the beach. They're probably a, a, about a mile in, you know, in, inside of the water where it's relatively deep. Even those crabs where basically had like detectable levels of SSRI drugs in their in their bodies and tissues, and it turned them into these violent, <laughs> homicidal, cannibalistic creatures, which they normally are not. Yeah. Uh, so imagine what happens if it's actually tap water, because by the time this water ends in the ocean, imagine how much more diluted it, it is if it reaches the crab that is a mile away from the shore. Imagine how much more concentrated, how much higher the concentration is in tap water. Uh, and if you ask a, a doctor, a psychiatrist, or an endocrinologist um, before that study, of course, this is new study, so they probably don't they haven't seen it yet. Uh, they will probably vehemently deny that SSRI drugs uh, um, change or, or or mess up with your endocrine system in any way. Um, you know, it's it will be it will be huge news. Actually, it should be huge news that this study found that they're actually endocrine disruptors. Um, several of them directly increased both the expression and the uh, activity of the enzyme aromatase. So not only are actually there, you're making more aromatase, you're making more of the enzyme that basically make uh, of the enzyme aromatase, which makes you allows you to make even more estrogen. So it's double whammy here, double bad whammy. Do you remember that paper? Um, oh, sorry, go ahead. What? And also, if you look at the uh, 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 the the other enzymes that inhibited, they specifically inhibited the enzymes that are responsible for the synthesis of androgens. So decrease. I guess it cannot really get any worse than that. First of all, they're serotonergic, right? So anything that's serotonergic increases prolactin, NPTH. <laughs> um, um, second, they they increase both the synthesis of estrogen and the synthesis of the enzyme that synthesizes estrogen, namely aromatase. And if that wasn't bad enough, then they also decrease the synthesis of the protective 
androgens such as testosterone, the hydrotestosterone, and the immediate precursors DHEA and androstenedione. Um, and um, uh, I color this in red because I think this is basically it's uh, probably the if there's one takeaway from the studies that the top six SSRIs on the market are to some extent, and I liked I I, I should say I dislike. Uh, the fact that they said to some extent, all of them were moderate to potent enhancers. <laughs> so it shouldn't be saying to some extent, should it be they're all six SSRIs, top SSRIs on the market are moderate to potent endocrine disruptors. I'm looking for, you posted a really great paper a long time ago, but it was basically saying what you're already saying here, but it was like in uh, monkeys, but they were saying that prolactin could be used to measure the serotonergic tone. Oh, yeah, yeah. If yeah. you go to Google, it's on the forum. It's not on my blog. This is like years ago before I had a blog. I, I feel like the name starts with a B or something, but it's like serotonin. Uh, it's a surrogate. It's basically, if you type uh, uh, pro, uh, prolactin surrogate serotonin, um, it will show up. There oh, we go. This, second yeah, link. This must be that. Okay. Yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> Ser <it's> serotonin. <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people forget that when was our first podcast? I think it was in like uh, 2015. of 2015. Yeah, 2015. So years. Yeah, yeah. This has been a long, long time. Long time of swimming upstream. <laughs> right. swim. And, and the, the, the stream is getting faster yeah. and faster. <laughs> the, the pharma companies and the powers of the be are opening up all faucets, man. Yeah. <laughs> They're desperately trying to drown us. Bathia, that's the name I was thinking oh, of. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you know why this was interesting? Because um, it says uh, <laughs> castration. I think, does it say? Uh, yeah. A anyways, somewhere in here, castrate. Oh, castra <laughs> One second here. Castration partially reduced the serotonin, uh, serotonin slash prolactin response to letrozole. But anyways, this sent me down a rabbit hole of thinking about when those, for bal the baldness stuff, that the castrate, mm -hmm. the people... With damaged testicles, they were castrated. That also reduced serotonin and prolactin. So they were they were protected from baldness because they were produ pr producing proportionally less stress substances. And, and so, less estrogen. And that's yeah, actually yeah, yeah. the castration has been used for a long time to claim that basically that androgens are really bad for your liver and for, for metabolizing alcohol. We discussed this maybe like maybe six months ago. I told you it turned out it's the estrogen, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So they basically... Uh, they, they showed that, that castrated animals, they're better able to handle alcohol. And mm -hmm. they thought, oh, so androgens must be really bad for, for the activity of these enzymes that metabolizing alcohol. And then they gave the castrated uh, animals uh, androgens, right? And they gave them an aromatase inhibitor. Both of them work really well, restored the ability to metabolize alcohol. And actually, when they gave them in synergy, the effect was even stronger. Mm -hmm. So they, they surprisingly concluded, oops. It looks like the castration lowers both androgens and estrogens, and it's the estrogens that are really the problem there. <laughs> so yeah, there's something similar here as well. So whenever, and I think something similar, something similar is done for to to mimic or to like to claim that that uh, menopause is a is a condition of estrogen deficiency, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it's basically like you, you're removing the ovaries. Yes, all oh, estrogen disappears, estradiol. Yeah, yeah, but progesterone also disappears, and unlike estradiol. 
Progesterone can only be produced in a few tissues inside of the body, while estrogen can be produced by every cell because every cell expresses aromatase. Um, so really, like basically removing the ovaries doesn't create a state of estrogen deficiency. It creates a, a state of true progesterone deficiency because no other organ, well, actually some of them can, can synthesize, but in minor amounts, but it most certainly does not reduce estrogen. All it does, it, it, it removes one source of estrogen, but if every cell can produce it, if you give it the precursors, they will produce it. They don't need the ovaries for that. I, I forgot what you when you said this, but uh, it might have been, like I can't remember when. But you said low estrogen in the blood tended to be high, like estrogenic burden in the person. And ever since you said that, I I mean, that's not like shocking to me. Of course, like, that seems reasonable. But s- since you said that, I, th- I thought I had identified it on like a dozen lab tests. Like the prolactin would be like 15 or 20, but the, yep. the serum estrogen would be extremely low. And of course, well, we don't because most of the estradiol is produced by the gonads. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're the main if, if you measure estradiol in the blood. Uh, if it, basically the, about 80% of it is coming from the gonads. Mm-hmm. So really the blood tests for estrogen and testosterone. So uh, blood estrogen um, in, wim- in women, estradiol specifically, indicates ovarian function. Mm-hmm. And then uh, blood estradiol in males indicates gonadal function, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so basically you can you can't really have high estradiol in males in the blood unless you produce a sufficient amount of testosterone. Mm-hmm. Now, your testosterone could be low because you're aromatizing a lot of that testosterone, right? Mm-hmm. But it's still, most of the estradiol in your blood is coming from the gonads. Um, so basically, um, if you have low estradiol in the blood, it means uh, the body senses that there is enough estrogen inside of the cell and the brain controls the gonads and tells them to stop producing as much of the androgens or the precursors to estrogen that are then being converted to estradiol. So if you're seeing low estradiol in the blood, there are only two options, either gonadal failure, right? But gonadal failure, you'll have low testosterone. Let's say pick up the male case. You have low testosterone in the blood, low DHT in the blood, and low estradiol. That's gonadal failure, right? But if you have basically high estradiol uh, in the blood, I'm sorry, if you have low estradiol in the blood, but normal levels of testosterone and DHT that usually means that the body is basically has enough in the rest of the, the cells, in the rest of the tissues, and has signaled the gonads to stop producing as much estradiol. So that's really, I mean, the more I read about the blood tests, especially about steroids, uh, the less I trust them. You really, if you want to know your true hormonal profile, you have to do blood, you have to do saliva, you have to do urine, and you have to do tissue. That's the only way to really know what's going on. Or... You could measure your pulse and temperature. <laughs> and <laughs> if those were low, almost every stress substance would be functioning at a higher capacity, I think. That's true. Sure, yeah. sure. But but again, so but here's the thing. If you're extremely hypothyroid, you actually you will not be producing much of the steroids either. Mm-hmm. Uh, except possibly cortisol, because that's the last thing to go away. That's what keeps you your brain alive because it's there, its main function other than suppressing inflammation is to maintain blood sugar. So, so even if very, very sick people who don't really have much of gonadal activity remaining, you'll still have, like, you'll see, you'll still see, a, a, you know, un, unchanged or even high levels of cortisol. And once that starts to go away, that person is usually terminal. I meant to do this at the beginning of the show, and I don't want to put you on the spot. Um, you know how every like 15 episodes, I, I want to restate the like the purpose of this show and like or maybe our foundation. I feel like that's uh, necessary. So I, I just want to express that we're, we think we're following in a tradition like the the Ray Pete tradition or the Otto Warburg or the Albert St. Georgie of, of 
energy and uh, structure and the things that Ray talks about. And so I think um, because I engaged heavily with the health world this last week, and I just want to overemphasize that this is like a coherent model here that we're talking about. And it's not like Georgie's buffet of ideas that he likes and he picks this idea and he picks that idea. It's more of a coherent type of thing. Yeah, the overarching theme would probably be the closest I can do with one word is anti-stress. Um, anything, anything basically that is enforced upon you triggers those primitive mechanisms. And it's really simple. Basically, they decide that it's more important to keep you alive than to maintain you as a highly differentiated functional human being. And then they start to slowly destroy or initially turn off your higher cognitive functions, your higher metabolic functions. They go hand in hand, right? And then little by little, you remain a, a, a blind, dumb aggregation of cells without any differentiating factors and, and morphogenetic fields. And ultimately, that's what really cancer is. But even without the cancer, you can get to a state that's really uh, not very human, um, and, and barely subsisting. And in that state, I think those are the sadistic uh, personalities that Ray keeps warning about. Um, at that point, they, they they just derive pleasure from inflicting pain because pain is all they know. That That is their reality, and they will do everything possible to inflict it on others because I guess that's how they bond with people. If I'm evil and all I know is evil and you are not, then we have nothing to do with each other. And if I want desperately to associate with other people, I cannot possibly associate with happy and healthy people because it's annoying me, right? It's I don't like that. That's not me. So I'm going to make you like me. I mean, that, that would be my simplistic explanation. But And then when a controversy comes, like a substance or something like that, a hormone or something like that, what you're looking for, does this promote mitochondrial oxidation exactly. does this that's really the underlying it? does it does it help move mm -hmm. the electrons mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from food to oxygen mm -hmm. or does it interfere with that process at any of the steps that we currently know about mm -hmm. and we're discovering new ones every day i mean they thought it's only four uh, uh, electron transport chain complexes now i mean it's kind of been known that they called the number three and four super complexes because they knew their structure is very bulky and likely uh, you can break them down into multiple simpler components. I uh, just saw an article today say, uh, basically des describing the structure with uh, really high uh, frequency uh, waves. Basically, they, they, they try to visualize the, the structure of, the, of those super complexes. So it looks like we, we may be able to break down, well, not maybe, but uh, they, they, they may end up breaking down the complex three and four into up to 20 simpler other complexes. Oh, wow. uh, and, and then their structure has to be uh, figured out, which is a lot at a lot at a, at a lot smaller level than the super complex, and so on and so on. But ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Anything that impedes that flow of energy um, tends to be pathological um, and in, and engender disease, aging, etc. Um, and then everything that, that that accelerates that flow in the proper manner, because you can accelerate the flow up to let's say complex two, and then accelerate the leaking of electrons through the inner mitochondrial membrane. And then you're getting reactive oxygen species, right? So it has to be the whole pathway. Anything that accelerates from food to oxygen, and there's what, about 30 different steps? If you count the Krebs cycle, the glycolysis, and the electron transport chain complex, um, anything that interferes with any of those steps um, usually tends to have a, a, a pathological response, a pathological effect. Usually if you inhibit glycolysis, uh, there are some um, inborn, truly inborn diseases. Uh, these people don't survive for long. Um, uh, because glycolysis is the, the requirement for, for, our, for, for most mammalian cells to exist. 
but usually the disease happens, the, the disease-promoting substances are inhibit either one or more of the steps of the Krebs cycle or the electron transport chain. Um, and all of these stress hormones happen to inhibit invariably, at the very least, the electron transport chain complex. And over time, actually, they seem to somehow signal the cell to start this process of autophagy, but really in a bad way. It's basically eating its own mitochondria, and eventually you get a cell that's composed of nothing but a cytosol, and all it can do is glycolysis. And the factors that promote that detrimental process, every single one of the stress hormones is known to be able to do it, right? Um, well, and, and some of them directly, and others simply because when you, when you interfere with the synthesis of ATP, without ATP, without sufficient energy, another um, uh, indication that structure and function cannot be separated, well, the cell cannot maintain this complex structure. So it will dismantle it, go back to whatever structure it can maintain with the available energy. So it's a, it's a feedback cycle, right? Um, and then conversely, the things that we discuss uh, in, in, in a positive light, they all invariably tend to promote uh, either the generation of new mitochondria or improve the function of already existing one. Carbon dioxide probably being one of the few that does both. Uh, basically, it increases the creation of new mitochondria, and just like Ray said, it may not be a direct um, electron withdrawing agent itself, but it physically pushes the electrons moving and makes gets them moving towards oxygen uh, and allows oxygen to finally accept them in a safe manner and prevents the creation of these reactive oxygen species that are damaging the the many components of the cell, but especially the polyunsaturated fats, um, which then engenders pretty much every chronic disease that we currently know cancer, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's. There's an article right there too. It says Alzheimer's patients have lower metabolic rate and higher fat acid oxidation. Oh yeah, let's talk about that one. I just wanted to say we're laser focused on this show. Like application might be different, like, but we, we have a foundation and we're building off to on top of that foundation. And that's why our worldview doesn't like change. We don't think something's good one day and something's toxic the other, the other day. That, so that's what I'm trying to say that we, we have standards and we have a foundation and that's yeah, pro-metabolic yeah. or anti-metabolic, yeah. and there are many different ways. There are many different, uh, I, I guess, side of view, angle views from which you can view that. Um, so, stress and anti-stress, right? Stress tends to be anti-metabolic. Initially, it is pro-metabolic because mm -hmm. you're producing a lot of cortisol, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that provides a lot of glucose through the process of gluconeogenesis. <laughs> but that very process itself is really pathological. It, it, in fact, it's the prime driver of the symptoms of diabetes. Uh, and one of the reasons insulin helps, there was actually a very old study um, published in the 1960s. Um, the reasons insulin lowers blood glucose, apparently, in type 2 diabetic patients, it's not because it helps its uptake into cells. It does that, right? But that's only about 20% of its function. The other 80% or even more are basically the effects of insulin stopping the process of excessive gluconeogenesis. So diabetic people have high blood glucose levels, the type 2 diabetes, for two reasons. One, random cycle, they can't really metabolize it. And two, they're producing a lot, a lot of glucose in their liver, um, but I guess because, first, cortisol is high. It's known that cortisol is a factor in type 2 diabetes. And two, because the, their cells are in a state of, of basically glucose deficiency, due to the excess, the random cycle blocking the metabolism, and the cell says, oh, I need more, right? Cancer cell is in the exact same situation, but it's much more extreme than that, too. Uh, and per perhaps unsurprisingly, you've seen the articles lately, that RU486, the, everybody that knows the pill is the abortion pill, it's actually designed as a cortisol blocker, rapidly, rapidly makes even terminal uh, ca uh, cancer disappear. 
I suspect one of the main reasons is precisely this. It's, it basically snaps the cells that are in this extreme stress condition, extremely diabetic condition, so to speak. It snaps them out of it and says, hey, you can metabolize glucose again. Um, and so often that's all that is needed uh, because glu oxidizing glucose is a sign that life is good. <laughs> oxidizing fat is a sign that, well, it's an ancient sign. It's a sign that you don't have enough food or the food is not good enough or you haven't eaten in a while, right? Um, things like that. It's it's really th those are the the evolutionary. If there is an evolutionary purpose to the macronutrients, the 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 amino acids were meant as building blocks. The fats were meant as insulators, as basically as long term storage fuel, um, and uh, and basically as as facilitators of things like pregnancy, um, hibernation uh, in hibernating animals, um, and then glucose was really meant truly as a fuel. Um, it does have other functions. There are quite a few things synthesized from glucose as well, such as DNA and RNA. It, without that, you cannot really synthesize the, these components which go into building the structure. But the primary role of glucose in the body is as a metabolic fuel. There are other metabolic fuels, but keep in mind, protein has to be converted to glucose in order to get metabolized. And then, yes, fats can get metabolized, but all hell breaks loose. It's basically the signal for your body, just as we mentioned, it says, look, um, you're, 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 uh, you're maintaining a luxurious structure that does not really meet the energetic reality of your body, so you might as well start dismantling it. And, and we can move on after this, but what you're saying is why, if you go listen to you and I in 2015, we really won't sound that different, <laughs> because we believe that we have a solid foundation which we can build upon, and it's not just this total chaotic a viewpoint that changes from week to week uh, based on how I feel or how you feel about something. There's a, a large evaluation process for something like Fizetin or s some new substance that uh, you can evaluate what, what it does to stress systems, what it does to energy systems. And, uh, but I'm not. So I'm not what you're saying that in six years we've made no progress. <laughs> <laughs> I, th well, I think the 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 distribution and us chatting about the uh, information improves. Obviously, what I'm just trying to say is we have a, a foundation, and I I don't believe that's true with a lot of other um, people in the health world. Like like you would say, I think this makes a person healthy. I think this makes a person unhealthy, and that's incredibly rare in the health world. Like people don't have these hypotheses that they progress and then talk about. It's just like, at well, the do you know why this is because the, the, whole, the, the only way to make money and for a lot of people to make money is if basically um, a, a doctor friend of mine, he always ends our arguments with, by saying, listen, there are no facts. There's only opinions. <laughs> and then basically if everybody can, can, since it's all about opinions, it comes down to how well you argue your opinion. Mm -hmm. And then this allows quite a few uh, like a really like a plethora of opinions that are really absurd to be sold on people because it's a well-argued opinion, right? It sounds coherent. It sounds logical, right? Um, and then there's a drug usually behind it. And then this drug is being sold and that's it. It solves this one problem. It maybe does, right? But but without, but basically like the way these opinions are structured is that they're they're um, not mutually exclusive, but they're non-overlapping, right? And if, if, if you ask this person who's promoting this one drug says, okay, so if I take this drug and it's, let's say it helps my liver, right? It, it detoxes my liver. That's a very common, very popular uh, word on the blogosphere. Any, any medicine too. Okay, it helps me detox my liver. But what else does it do? Oh, I mean, I don't know. Because I'm not, let's say I'm not a nephrologist. I don't know what it does to your kidneys. Yeah. I'm not a neurologist. I don't know what. It, 
So, okay, so what, what do I need to do to find out what this does to the rest of my body? Well, why do you care? We're talking about your liver here. You came here because I'm a liver specialist and that's what I do. Mm-hmm. So very quickly you realize that it's about differentiation and, 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 and really narrowing of opinions in a specific direction because that's how you can protect it from the competition. You declare yourself to be an expert in a very narrow area, and if it's narrow enough and if you guard it well enough, you may end up being like the world's most renowned expert on this one type of cell in this one section of the liver, right? And then it's it all it all comes down to how well you argue that this is the important pathway that everybody should be chasing. And let's say you have a drug about it, if you're a pharma company, right? And and that's it. Any question about a systemic picture or questions about, or oh, what else does this do, uh, or how else does it affect like um, other systems in my body? Are usually met with hostility, or at the very least, uh, trying to deflect the question or saying it's not my responsibility; it's somebody else's, right? But at the end of the day, um, um, basically, the the presumption is that these systems are largely independent. The only thing they're sharing inside of your body is basically the bag of bones and and skin that surrounds them, <laughs> and that's that's what allows these over a hundred different experts in different organs, systems, tissues, etc., to sit there and proliferate and charge absurd amount of money and while often openly contradicting themselves. Um, I mean, basically, you can say, you can go to a, to, I mean, the liver person says, oh, this helps detox your liver. Then you go to the nephrologist, the nephrologist says, well, this is really toxic to your kidneys. And then you, in their world, this is perfectly okay. You can be toxic to one organ and be really, really beneficial to another. Well, in our worldview, because it's all about the flow of energy and the oxidative metabolism, it is really difficult to find a substance or a type of food that is very, very beneficial for one organ and is absolutely toxic to another. It's just it's just not coherent um, and doesn't vibe well with the idea of the organism as a system. Um, and the systemic approach to health has basically to health has been uh, abandoned a long time ago. Um, it, we're we're in a highly differentiated uh, collection of experts um, who don't talk to each other. They don't want to talk to each other, but they want you to go and visit as many of them as possible. And they can prescribe you these drugs that openly interfere with each other, and they don't even bat an eyelash. It's perfectly it's perfectly fine. I get emails all the time of people saying, "Hey, look, I'm taking these these twenty drugs, <laughs> and and then uh, and then I'm experiencing experiencing the following symptoms without a, a single exception." Just looking at the known side effects of, of these drugs, you immediately come up with all of the symptoms that this person is experiencing. And and I usually ask them, like, okay, so what does your primary care doctor think about all these drugs? Oh, he or she says that since each one of them is prescribed by a different specialist, it's really not their business to, to argue whether <laughs> they should be taken or not. Then what's the point of your primary care physician? Oh, he's the one who referred me to all the specialists. Oh, okay, man, that's a, I would like to be to have that job. All I do is refer, you know? Uh, run a few, like prescribe a, a, a bunch of blood tests. I don't even interpret them. They come back. The lab tells me if something is abnormal or not. But if it's abnormal, all I do is refer you to a specialist. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why uh, some of the things that the Great Reset does, even though they're evil in their uh, impetus or, or like the or the, the the rationale behind them, they've identified certain professions that are truly redundant. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the <coughs> predictions uh, uh, by the uh, Great Reset by the World Economic Forum people is that by 2030, there will be the vast majority of doctors will be gone. There will be no doctors. And instead of hospitals, we'll have something called home, home hospitals. Everything will be done remotely. Everything, everything will be done through a robot. 
through like uh, you know teleconferencing, video conferencing, etc. Uh, I don't know how much that is true, but they they have also identified the fact that many of these professions are simply dead weight, and and they will get rid of them without caring what happens to these people. Uh, now, whether you believe the vaccine's purpose is to get rid of these extra people that is, that will soon become redundant, that's 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 your choice to believe or not. But the the undeniable goal of the World Economic Forum people is to destroy many of these professions that they consider fully redundant, and I agree with the latter part. I don't know if they should be destroyed or not, but I guess they found a really evil well to uh, evil way to implement Ivan Illich's ideas. <laughs> but instead of deschooling deschooling society and demedicalizing society, <laughs> they're simply centralizing all of these things even more. And they're destroying the former industries that used to offer these services. Yeah, the Great Reset is an inversion of like every Ivan Illich idea. I, I, no, it's, it's actually it's not an inversion. It's like a super <laughs> like a, it's a super evil way to implement it without relinquishing control. So it's like so basically Ivan Illich said, well, doctors mostly make people sick, right? Mm-hmm. Education mostly makes people dumb. And Great Reset people say, like, okay, man, Ivan, we're gonna get rid of all the teachers and all the doctors. And all these institutions, there will still be education, there will still be medicine, but it will be controlled by one entity, yeah. right? <laughs> and then he'll say, "That's not what I meant." Well, you don't get to, to to you don't get to to receive everything you wish for. We will do what you want it, but we'll do it our way. Straight from the source. Thanks for that. Uh, I'll ask you that same question in another fifteen episodes, and so prepare all prepare right. accordingly. Okay, let's uh, talk about the Substack real fast. Okay, so again. Going back to our conversation, I don't think any platform is safe, but right now, dannyroddy.substack.com. And the neat thing about this is if you enjoy the show, but maybe you don't keep up with social media or whatever, this will just send you an email when we have a new show being released. And then I have like uh, timestamps, of course, and all all that jazz in there. And then you can follow me on Telegram, uh, t.me slash dannyroddy. You can follow Georgie on Twitter, twitter.com slash hate it. And Georgie, tell us about that anti-serotonin chemical you're working on because everybody keeps asking me about it. <laughs> Three of them. So uh, basically the, the methoxyharmaline, um, I should be able to uh, release that hopefully in the month of October. It's already synthesized. Trying to find a way to send it without getting... It's not an illegal chemical, but uh, DHL and the other companies are starting to ask really annoying questions. Um, even though the people <laughs> who synthesize it are professional chemists, they're a legitimate lab. Some of them are university professors. Speaking of which, we will have a few publications coming up with those university professors soon. Some really interesting results, by the way. Um, Do you anyway, still want so to three, bring one of them on the show and chat with them? Yes. Do you want to? Yeah, I I'd mean, totally happy uh, to I already it. approached him and he said he'll be thrilled to come and discuss the research we're doing. Um, let me, let me. So the serotonin chemicals, the Harmelan will be re, uh, released soon. Um, and then I may have like a few samples of sinanserine. And a Russian anti-serotonin drug called tropoxin. Mm-hmm. Um, the Russians didn't want to be outdone, and they released their own version, <laughs> synthesized their own version of uh, cyproheptadine. And it's similar structurally to a anti-serotonin drug that was uh, de- designed and developed in the United States, tested, and had extremely promising results for things like depression um, and irritable bowel syndrome. The drug's name is tropanserin. Um, basically, the tropoxin and tropanserin share a, a common chemical structure, something called troponin. Um, so, but if you look at tropanserin, tropoxin is similar structurally, um, and tropanserin is already available as a research chemical, but from only two or three sources in a very small amount. Long story short, 
the the Harmonland will probably be released commercially. It will be available in sufficient amounts. Uh, Sinanser and Entropoxin, I will probably just release the, a few bottles as samples for people uh, who want to uh, experiment with. Um, and then uh, after that, we already have several fatty acid oxidation inhibitors synthesized and tested. So we're waiting on the toxicity results. And uh, the most recent results are with aromatase inhibitors, natural aromatase inhibitors. Um, believe it or not, the uh, uh, one of the ke the chemicals that we have in the product Lapotin, uh, namely beta lapachon, which is something that uh, William Koch worked with extensively back in the 50s and 60s as a treatment for cancer, is a very potent aromatase inhibitor, similar in potency to the current flagship drug known as letrozole. Um, so, and another very good promising result, the uh, uh, vitamin K3, also known as menadione, currently used in several cancer cancer trials and even uh, uh, approved already as a combination with vitamin C, uh, is a drug called Apatone, is approved for prostate cancer, I think, in the United States. Vitamin K3 turns out to be also a very potent aromatase inhibitor with a potency similar to the beta-lapachon. Not surprising, both of them are naftoquinones. Um, and fairly similar structure. Um, and a few others, the tetracycline antibiotic, uh, which I also asked the team to test, turns out to also be an aromatase inhibitor, not as potent as the naftoquinones, but still similar quinone structure. And then that's the first step of the study. The second step would be, uh, now you can have a chemical that's not an aromatase inhibitor, but still has anti-estrogenic effects. So we will test for, uh, there is a yeast uh, a kit that can you can test for estrogenicity and anti-estrogenicity and androgenicity and anti-androgenicity. Mm -hmm. So all of these chemicals naturally occurring that we're testing for aromatase inhibition, whether they they, 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 they are successful or not, we'll also test them for estrogenic slash anti-effects and androgenic slash anti-effects. There's already some, there's already a publication claiming that vitamin K3, again, is also an estrogen receptor antagonist. So if that gets confirmed, um, then we have a really... Um, uh, I would say highly beneficial chemical out there because it's much cheaper than the vitamin K2s. Um, and widely available. It's a drug in many European countries. In Russia, it's a drug called Vicasol. Uh, you can actually Google it right now. It's V-I-K-A-S-O-L. Um, and the Russians are selling it simply because the vitamin K2s uh, uh, are much more expensive. Vitamin K3 is, is essentially naftoquinone with an extra methyl group. Um, so some very very interesting promising results. So we may be able to uh, um, to like uh, to release a product that is a based on a natural chemical and is a strong aromatase inhibitor in combination with hopefully anti-estrogenic uh, effects at the receptor level as well. well how did you call um, so, yeah. What was the how do you spell it? Vi uh, Vicosol. V i k a s o l. There we go. There you go. Metadion. That's the yeah, vitamin K3, also known as vitamin K3. Yeah, if you click on that, it will basically show you. So it is sometimes called vitamin K3. Now, um, used to, it's currently used in the United States, but only as a feed additive for animals. Um, I don't think it's used for humans. It used to be used. I don't know why it stopped being used, but it's actually a drug in Russia and many European countries as well, and it's known as Vicosol. The Vicosol is the Russian name. Menadione is the chemical name. It's As you can see, it is actually the naked 1,4-naftoquinone with an extra methyl group that things sticking to the, uh, to the right of the two carbonyl groups is a methyl group. Uh, very simple structure, um, apparently very potent aromatase inhibitor. 
So we're going to continue investig investigating its effects, potentially modify the molecule a little bit, because there are some results that demonstrate that changing that methyl group to a longer, more lipophilic group increases the aromatase inhibitory effects and the estrogenic antagonism. So we may be able to develop something that's that has the effects of vitamin K, so it still has a vitamin K-like effect, but it's also a, a, a potent aromatase inhibitor and an anti-estrogenic chemical. So essentially the quinone version of progesterone. Straight from the Bulgarian wizard here. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, guys, give this episode a like. Really appreciate 140 people watching right now. Uh, really appreciate you guys hanging, hanging out on this Friday evening. I'm moving in approximately one month, and the new place I'm moving to has like wicked internet. And so we haven't had many internet problems the knock on one the last few weeks, but wicked as in good or terrible, like really, really good. Oh, okay. So very happy about that. And um, is there any other housekeeping stuff? Like, is there anything else you need to say? Not really. I mean, um, anything you so need yeah, to get the, off your chest. The two new products <laughs> coming up would be the, yeah, uh, the, uh, the, the fat acid oxidation inhibitor and at least one serotonin antagonist. Um, and speaking of fat acid oxidation inhibition, did I send you the uh, the screenshot of the study we did with vitamin B1 and B3 uh, for uh, for lymphoma? Uh, hold hold it. Pause for one second. I forgot to say I do coaching on patreon.com slash journey. Okay. Now, what, what was uh, I don't think you did you send me something? Oh, I think I uh, didn't I send you like a screenshot of like yeah, basically the uh, so okay well, there's a lab in 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 Taiwan oh yeah you did we, okay on Skype oh, yeah, yeah. like yeah so they completed a study and basically um on, here's Murphy's law because the the lab did not expect the animals to survive beyond the 14th day they <laughs> only bought a sufficient amount of B1 and B3 to only carry the study for 14 days uh -huh. now to their chagrin or, or I should say chagrin to their shock and dismay. Not only did the animals survive beyond the 14 days, but the tumor growth completely halted. But they ran out of B1 and B3. So I scrambled and I sent them B1 and B3 more, a sufficient amount, right, to continue <laughs> the study. But for about a week, the, the animals in, in both groups didn't get anything because one of them was a control group, right? But the second one that was receiving B1 and B2 was not receiving any treatment. And so basically, they after they received my batch of B1 and B3, they, they, they continued the study. And then basically there was a slight pickup in growth, but the study continued for 49 days and the euthanasia happened, what's today's? Today is Friday. What happened this past Monday and basically the tumor growth was still stopped. Mm -hmm. slight, wow. slight change, maybe about 10% increase, which I'm attributing to the, to the, to the uh, stopping, temporary stopping of therapy. But I'll send you the final screenshot and you will see basically completely stopped the growth of human mental cell lymphoma. That's wow. the cell line. Now, we're going to repeat that study with higher dosages of B1 because I suspect that it's uh, that basically we can do better because the regular vitamin B1, um, while you know it's, it's very good and completely benign, but it doesn't have, have very good absorbability oral. So we're going to double that, and I'm hoping that uh, at the higher dosage, will really be able to start seeing its activity as carbonic anhydrase inhibitor. And now they have a sufficient amount of B1 and B3 that at the very least they can repeat the study without having gaps in the treatment. And if that happens, uh, we already have uh, sent preliminary we already have sent preliminary data to some uh, high profile journals and three of them immediately said no way we're going to publish study on only vitamins. <laughs> but one of them is interesting. Uh, it's a it's a journal in the United States, one of the top 5. 
Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, um, they they are asking for five thousand dollars review fee. Well, wow. so we'll see if we'll be able to to gather that. But first, we need to to the second study to repeat it essentially with higher dosages and uninterrupted treatment. Uh, long story short, it confirms virtually everything that I've been saying over the last Ray has been saying for more than half a century. But specifically, <laughs> the, all the articles you've seen me post and you've seen and uh, Saint George and Linus Pauling. And, and Gilbert Link and uh, Hoffer especially uh, talking about niacinamide and its therapeutic effects and more recently thiamine, right? Everybody knows the cofactor for pyruvate hydrogenase mm-hmm. and it, that's a known therapeutic pathway for cancer. Not many, But it's a, only one study so far that shows that thiamine is actually a carbonic anhydrase inhibitor mm-hmm. similar to the drug acetazolamide and it, it, it has about the same potency. Uh, and since acetazolamide it has quite a few studies behind it, most of them in vitro, unfortunately, but showing that it can actually stop cancer growth. And I think Pete has mentioned it to a few people as a potential cancer treatment. It'll be really, uh, I don't know, I mean, it'll be an, uh, I'll be ecstatic if it turns out that something so dirt cheap and widely available can actually treat cancer. And and I, I don't I don't see how pharma industry will be able to outlaw it or ban it. I mean, it's everywhere. They, they, I would actually venture, I guess, that it'll have a, bigger success trying to ban aspirin than trying to ban B1 because it's now used as a food additive uh, because all the food commercial has been so depleted of nutrients. Many, if not most developed countries in the world actually have laws in the books mandating time and fortification of, of the commercial foods, especially grains and other, and, uh, other starchy foods. Amazing stuff. Okay. I kind of forgot. I should probably stop streaming around 10 PM, 11 PM your time. And so okay. should probably wrap it up. Uh, maybe talk about two more articles or so and then get out yeah. of here. Maybe talk about the Alzheimer's one. I mean, that's it's really like, a well, it's it's a good study, but also annoying coverage in the mainstream media because not a single word, not a single sentence mentioned of what actually separates the Alzheimer's patients from the healthy ones. Mm-hmm. It's only if you read the actual study and even in the actual study, it is only what, two sentences? <laughs> so basically it says that medicated and non-medicated patients with mild cognitive impairment, which they actually defined in the study as already established and diagnosed Alzheimer's, they have lower fasting, resting energy expenditure, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And basically both of these groups of patients, whether medicated or not, which actually tells you that the medication is probably not working very well because it, it failed to shift the preference of these subjects for burning fatty acids uh, in comparison to carbohydrates. The exact same thing is already known to happen in people with diabetes, and the exact same thing is all known to happen in people with, with, with cardiovascular disease, with cancer, and in general with aging. I think Ray has an actual article, more than one actually on his website, where he says that one of the defining characteristics of, of aging is the inability to metabolize glucose, and that when they take cells from, from old people and they put them in a dish and try to culture them, and no, and you know, get them to like divide for a few more cycles before mm-hmm. they actually die. They found out it's extremely difficult to actually put them in a regular culture because it that culture is heavily based on glucose, so it's made for young cells. So these older cells are having trouble shifting back to glucose oxidation. Why? Because they've dismantled most of their apparatus for metabolizing the glucose. Mm-hmm. One of the studies showed that adding glycine to the to that culture medium was able to restore the metabolism of 92-year-old cells, human cells, back to normal. And the, the defining characteristics, the change was not structural. It was actually the fact that these cells starting to respire normally. Their, their respiratory quotient 
which can be used to measure whether you're preferentially metabolizing glucose or, or fatty acids, shifted in favor of carbohydrates and the value became more than higher than one, right? And then basically they still still started producing uh, much more carbon dioxide and much more much less lactic acid. So glycine was able to do that. But again, the defining characteristics of aging was um, almost like a you know ingrained preference for oxidizing fats, and it took uh, like a, a more than a gentle nudge through glycine and potentially other remediations to get these uh, elderly cells to metabolize glucose again, which restored their youthful phenotype. So this means, um, even in this specific case, the glycine could be a viable treatment for Alzheimer's, but more importantly, Alzheimer's disease is a straight-up metabolic disease characterized by oxidizing the wrong, or the excessively oxidizing <laughs> the wrong ma macronutrient, uh, namely fatty acids. And when presented with carbohydrates, then these cells have trouble switching back. So there is inertia, which needs to be overcome. And you know, sometimes people say, okay, so I'm doing all the right things, uh, what's going on? Like, uh, you know, why do I, why am I not feeling that? I, why do I not feel that I'm getting better? Well, there is inertia that needs to be overcome. Just like Rupert Sheldrake said, there are no laws in nature. It's only habits, and these habits are driven by inertia. So it sometimes it takes a little time to 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 kind of um, tell the cells that all is okay. They they have the all clear to behave normally again and metabolize glucose. And if and if that's not enough, then things like niacinamide. And aspirin may help, uh, and coincidentally or not, um, niacinamide is currently in a clinical human clinical trial for Alzheimer's disease at UCLA. So if you go to Google and type niacinamide, nicotinamide, UCLA Alzheimer's, you'll immediately get the, the clinical trial. And I think they may already be uh, preliminary results published. What was the UCLA Alzheimer's what? Nicotinam nicotinamide. No, participants are needed for new... Um, Several of them. Uh, research and trials. It's already listed there. Uh, the second link is also there. And the third one, it says nicotinamide is an early Alzheimer's disease treatment. So the trial is called NEAT. I was looking on uh, Rob Turner Functional Performance Systems. Uh, I remember there was like overt studies linking hypothyroidism and Alzheimer's. Like it was... That's not even like a, a far out theory. It's just... Um, before it before it became known as Alzheimer's disease, it was known as, as severe senile dementia, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was known that basically that it was uh, and and it was also known that it can manifest itself in really young people too. So these things that they call early on early onset Alzheimer's these days, um, the only reason they actually did that is so they can get more patients diagnosed under this condition so they can medicate them. But the older studies, if you see, they will see that this this early what they call early early onset Alzheimer's was called sporadic dementia, uh, sporadic idiopathic dementia, and it, in most cases it was actually self-resolving. If the person's health improves, if they were not, you know, if they were not if they were not subject to severe stress anymore, whatever was causing that that um, sporadic cognitive impairment, if that if those conditions were removed, these people usually recovered completely. There was no need for medication. And then uh, what the lipid peroxidation and things, what, is that damaging the cortex? Like what, what's happening there? Do you know? Well, I mean, the uh, the lipid peroxide, the products uh, are directly toxic to the brain cells. Mm -hmm. um, and also 
Anytime you have lipid peroxidation, you also have binding with iron and forming of lipofuscin. Mm -hmm. So why the more lipofuscin accumulates into the neurons, the less they'll be able to perform oxidative phosphorylation. And ultimately, ultimately, you get to a point where all the cell can do is glycolysis and potentially metabolizing short-chain fatty acids. Amazing. Okay, let's uh, we'll wrap this up in 15 minutes here. Um, you want to talk about that keto one, and I'll put it in the title, and I'll troll all the keto people <laughs> <laughs> which one <laughs> what was uh uh for most individuals the risk of keto diets outweigh the benefits i mean that's what the study said mm -hmm. it was actually a direct quote if you scroll down you'll see i think it's actually and it was uh it was the study author what uh what were what were they saying the harm the harmful effects were Oh, everything basically, like, uh, like, so it was, it was damaging the kidneys. It can cause liver disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's disease, um, blood clots. Uh, basically, uh, what else did they say? Obesity. All of these things. I mean, they're all related, right? So it's like I, I'm, I'm mentioning them as one disease. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm mentioning as separate diseases, but they really like individualized organ-specific symptoms of the exact same overarching condition, which is you're training your cells, you're sending the signal to your cells that they're under stress. That's what happens when you're doing the ketogenic diet. It does, it may have minor beneficial effects due to the fact that some of the medium and short chain fatty acids are actually acting on the GABA system. And that's what, uh, that's what accounts for their anti-seizure effects. Uh, but even with the, like with treating seizure, especially the, the medication resistant seizures in children, where the ketogenic diet is really popular, uh, you, if you look at those trials, those trials actually are not indefinite. They actually give the diet for like two or three months tops maximum until the child can actually be controlled, the seizure can be controlled with medication, and then these diets stop. Not, no, medical, no, me no medical professional, I think, has ever advocated going on a ketogenic diet indefinitely. Now, some celebrity... Uh, medical doctors maybe i don't know if dr oz or like uh, or deepak chopra if they're advising these kind of things but no practicing clinician that i know of that actually works in a hospital and deals with with these patients in a metabolic ward none of these people really actively recommend going on a ketogenic <laughs> well, diet well, they've seen their effects firsthand <laughs> well that's a little bit of a problem because those people are psychotic but that's not <laughs> you're not saying they're they don't do this therefore it's bad like uh so we could like we talked about Ray last time, uh, the cleaning out the intestine, you know, having a um, not much, much fermentable starches and things like that, that could improve the situation. Eating a more whole foods diet, that could improve the situation. But long term, ketogenic is synonymous with uh, a shift towards NADH away from NAD into a reductive state and a, a pseudo hypoxic state. Not pseudo, directly hypoxic. Mm -hmm. I mean, basically, like it, that, that, that ratio. Is I guess it's a surrogate for Jibol's uh, statement that he always says like it's all about pH, right? It's all about in the anesthesiology books. Um, we're I guess we we're talking about the same thing, but he didn't like talking about the ratio. I just he don't know. Talking about I don't pH. know who that is, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> that, I think that that forum that they're running is gone. People were like lamenting it on the on the repeat forum, saying like, "Oh, I need to get in touch with those people. What's going on? They took my money, did some hair tests, and now they're not responding." But what you were talking about is called the ketone body ratio, and that's something that Ray has talked about, and like very few people have ever have ever heard mention this. But it's the balance between acetoacetate and the alcohol beta hydroxybutyrate. And like, and, keto and, and he's saying like technically because a lot of people say, "Oh, the diabetic people have an increased ketone body." 
presence in the blood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're actually talking about beta-hydroxybutyrate, yeah, yeah. which is not a ketone. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's the reduced version of acetoacetate. Mm-hmm. So, and if you look at the, the 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 blood of diabetic patients, yes, there is some acetone. Yes, there is some acetoacetate, but they're actually at, at levels similar to the level seen in healthy people. Yes, it is the beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is present there in excess, but actually that is a signal of reductive stress. So, so uh, uh, people in diabetic ketoacidosis are actually having a toxicity uh, uh, because, um, well, they're having excessive levels of beta-hydroxybutyrate, not excessive acetoacetate and not excessive acetone. It's the fact that the acetone and the acetoacetate smell so pungently, that's what allowing people to detect it in the breath of the diabetic people. But it's not the predominantly present, quote-unquote, ketone that's defining the disease. It's the beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is not a ketone. It's the reduced version of the ketone, which should tell you that diabetes is a disease of reductive stress, of reductive excess. And conversely, if you actually administer acetoacetate, and I think Ray has an article about this, uh, I'm sorry, not like a newsletter, where he explicitly mentioned it, is expected to be therapeutic and has been, has been uh, demonstrated to lower blood glucose levels and lower lipid peroxidation and lower lactic acid levels when administered to diabetic people um, um, uh, over a period, I think, of like a week or so, and it, it was done intravenously. Um, conversely, you can do other supplementations that shift the NAD to the NADH ratio back in favor of NAD. You can take quinones, which can directly reoxidize NADH back into NAD, right? You can take niacinamide, which can raises both, by the way, both NAD and NADH, but it raises NAD more. Uh, and also, because niacinamide actually lowers lipolysis, I think that's the excessive lipolysis. That's what it. That's where it contributes to the, the to the progressive restoration of the ratio. Aside from its role as a precursor, right? It's a precursor to the NAD, but and and conversely to the NADH as well. But it, that's not its main role. The main role is the lowering of lipolysis, which essentially allows for more glucose to be metabolized, and that's what shifts the ratio of NAD to the NADH back in favor, back into the favor of NAD. This uh, George Cahill is like a keto god person. Like he, people always reference him all the time. And when I read through his paper, Keto Acids as Good Medicine, he himself says that with beta hydroxybutyrate as a substrate, NADH increases relative to NAD+. But that's so funny because I know we've talked about this before, but a lot of keto people will, will say, oh, yeah, like keto increases NAD relative to NADH. But their foremost expert in ketones is saying the opposite is true. Okay. So why, uh, why does he recommend keto if he says that this is it? These are his own words that that it causes pseudohypoxia. Well, remember, not that many people think NAD relative to NADH is like a good thing. Like Ray was saying, any NADH to NAD having a higher ratio of NADH was optimal. They, and he he said most people believe that, and that him and Gilbert Ling are some of the only people. I, I think more people think NAD is important now, but that's like a that's kind of a new belief. I think. That, that it's more important, I guess, because they're linking it to oxidative stress, right? And to increase metabolism. They're saying, oh, if your NAD to the NADH ratio is high, which means this means you're experiencing oxidative stress and your metabolism is high. So you're going to you're going to burn out faster. I guess. I think they think having a cell full of electrons is like a really good thing or something. Uh so These I, electrons have to go somewhere, yeah. right? <laughs> and if they don't, what is it? They first build fats, right? Yeah, yeah. Then they, they may build some sugar, and eventually they start building tissue, but not in a controlled manner. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, we'll cut it there. Um, 
and then just what is what is your let's do an outro and just talk about your life what what's what's new with you uh well i mean i'm just kind of monitoring what's going on here because um i don't know if you saw pfizer is now pushing fda to approve the vaccine for uh, children as young as five mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, if that happens i i'm pretty sure that the dc mayor will be probably the first in the nation <laughs> to mandate these vaccines into the public schools and if that happens, then then I'm out. I mean, we'll pull the kids out, and uh, we'll see what happens. We'll do. We'll, we'll make some feeble attempts to establish some sort of like a homeschool um, uh, um, outfit. Not just us, but a few other parents here as well. Surprisingly, quite a few parents uh, in the public school. Uh, DC has a very a large international crowd. Mm-hmm. Most of the uh, should say most, but like about half of the kids in the public school where my kids are are basically the children of diplomats. Um, they're they're for, they're foreigners. And many of them, if not most, are very hesitant about the vaccines. Um, they're also very hesitant of having their child vaccinated abroad. I don't know why. It, it's not that they don't, I mean, I don't know, maybe they don't trust the Americans. <laughs> but whatever the reason is, it, we're not alone in our quest to basically um, find some kind of uh, private, um, independent way to school our children. Uh, but there are also rumors that uh, that the fascistic Council, DC Council is already aware that that uh, a sufficient number of parents will be doing that, and now that we're making it very difficult to homeschool your children. I mean, the homeschooling option is kind of left to each individual state and, and location and municipality and entity, uh, so they can very quickly pass law, which is why the the continuation of the state of emergency matters because now the DC Council can pass a law out outlawing homeschooling with only half of the votes. So instead of 12 votes, and actually they can do it without um, the typical requirement of soliciting feedback from the public. They can propose this thing themselves. They can discuss it between themselves. If you even can call it even this discussion, what is it, two wolves and a sheep voting on what to have for dinner? Uh, that's exactly what, what how, how things will turn out if the vaccines become mandatory. What? So we'll see. I don't understand. what. How could they uh, make homeschooling illegal? What, how does that make you... Any sense? It's child neglect, basically. Uh, that's how that's how they'll define it. You you're interfering with the child's ability to develop intellectually and eventually earn a living. What it really means is that listen, uh, you think you are a parent and you have rights uh, uh, <laughs> over your child. That's long gone. <laughs> we, we are we are the owners of your child, and we will tell you what to do. But by the way, you keep paying. You keep paying. We do what we 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 do what we want with your money. And even aside from the money issues, like they're really in interjecting themselves between parents and children. I mean, did we discuss that law that they passed here that now children can be vaccinated secretly yeah, yeah, yeah. in DC? Uh-huh. That was, How yeah, that was much ago. more perverse and twisted and and I don't know and psychopathic can you get? Not only you pass that law, but the way the law is written, it, it has secrecy and deliberate evil all over <laughs> it. So you actually mandate in the law that the staff, that school staff, the medical staff, the teachers, and everybody are allowed and actually required to lie to you as a parent if you ask them, have you vaccinated? Because if your child gets vaccinated, right, <laughs> then the child will come home and will probably let you know, right? Yeah. And if you lose your call and start calling people, the law not only allows them, it mandates that they tell you, no, we did not vaccinate. Do, do, and not only that, but it requires the insurance company <laughs> to conceal those records from you. There will be two parallel sets of records the regular child's medical record and a special secret vaccine record, which I don't even know if they've even figured it out who will have access to it because the child is a minor, right? The child won't have access to it. So (laughs) I guess the the state was becoming 
uh, the children are becoming partially a ward of the state for more or less, at least when it comes down to vaccination, because you are not allowed to have any knowledge of that whatsoever. Georgie, newsflash, these people are evil. <laughs> I, I would say they're, they're, they're more like uh, they're, they've regressed down to the amoeba level. I don't know if it's necessarily evil. I figured it out. They're the missing link between the plant and the animal kingdom. You know what I heard that is seems kind of obvious, but like, you know how we talk a lot about how this stuff makes no sense? That's because, well, one, it doesn't make sense. But also, it's not for us. It's for 2030, 40 kids who are will read in textbooks one day and say, all those free people, they created all these viruses and... Thank goodness. Pandemics, right? yeah, thank goodness we're uh, we have a less freedom now and we don't have these like rampaging viral outbreaks and things like they were so irresponsible with how much freedom they had. And so it's again, they can craft the narrative, whatever the hell they want with the cl- climate and doing it for climate change and saving the earth and bullshit like that. And, and again, it doesn't have to make sense to anybody. It can be the most incoherent thing like it, it obviously is, but it's not f- it's not for us. It's for several generations from now watch the movie the island it won't be long before they start harvesting us for organs and whatnot for the powers that be if they're not doing it already uh, i mean uh, we are, there's already the parabiosis there are companies in california that are actually uh, heavily funded that are investigating um doing these blood transfusions it's known that uh, that basically that, that this is done for um for rich people uh it's done illegally in mexico and a few other countries um, but I, I, there's a rumor that it's also being done in the United States. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, uh, it, they're not really bleeding people to death, but they're definitely, uh, you know, going behind the scenes and around somehow potentially even breaking the law directly by obtaining young blood, like from basically people who are, you know, as young as 18, probably even younger, who are undergoing medical procedures and whatever blood was collected, um, you know, rich old people are paying top bucks for that to get it transfused into them. Have you heard of the uh, television show Squid Game? No. It's a. It's, oh, it's, I heard it's a really popular Korean, like a um, Korean series or something. Yeah, it's the most popular show on Netflix ever, and it's a Korean show. And I watched it because I like Old Boy. It's like a famous Korean movie. But the crazy part about there's lots of crazy parts about this. But they have a a section where they um like the elite are in it. <laughs> and, uh. Again, somebody be able the people that analyze television stuff. Would, Who is this freak with the horns, like with the horns coming <laughs> that's out? That's not even head. that's not even remo- remotely bad to <laughs> what what else? <laughs> but it's uh, it's not a bad watch if you're extremely bored. But um, it has a lot. I of, am not interested just by looking at these screenshots. Uh, I'm like, not really gunning for well, watching that. Freak well, show. well, they play like children's games, but if you lose, you die. And so this. Um, uh, where was the photo? Anyways, they'll play like. Weren't there some like uh, some Japanese um, like uh, end of end of end like end of days apocalyptic kind of movies? Uh, I think this is based on one of them. They were like motion pictures. Um, I forgot the name. It's like it was actually a thing in Japan, and basically high schoolers hunting each other to death, that kind of thing. Oh, um, is that similar? I know, I know what movie you're talking about. I can't think of it right now. Like the. Uh... It's like the Hunger Games, but it was made in yes, Japan yes. way before. Hunger Games was yeah. based on that. Yeah. Yes, I can't. Yeah. Re- I've seen that movie. I can't remember. Uh, chat, help us out here. You're um, into really weird shit. That's all I have to say. <laughs> no, I'm really bored. <laughs> that, that's, what, that's what the really thing is. But this is, uh, I'd, again, I'd be interested in somebody with um, 
better understanding of these things to break this down. But it was a there was a occult element in it for for sure. Anyways, okay. Anything else uh, we need to talk about before we bail out of here? Not really. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I, my prediction is by the end of this year, it, it, I will know if this is livable or not. Um, aside from everything else, like the murder rate is the highest it's ever been over the last 40 years. I mean, it's quite obvious that things are not going battle, well. Socially. Battle Royale is the movie. Thank you, Chris. Battle, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Battle Royale. Battle Royale. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Keep going. Yeah, by the end of this year, of 2021, I think it will be very obvious uh, whether I will be able to stay in DC or not. And if not, then um, we'll see. Maybe the my Appalachian dream will, <laughs> will come true. Even though... Um, you know, it's not the best the best place to live because even if you're, um, you know, I'm, I'm not well off, but it will probably be better off than the locals. That's not exactly a good way to be. I mean, like these people are starving and they're addicted to drugs. They're probably not going to be very, uh, very hospitable to a person with a heavy accent <laughs> who speaks. Well, if I speak against the government, I guess I guess they'll accept me. But you got that. They're not very pro-government themselves either. You got that cool Bulgarian essence, though. I think that will, that will be a I am a Bulgarian redneck. <laughs> I will pull out the wife beater. I have a few of them, like, made in Bulgaria. <laughs> well, I'll find a way to mingle. Here's what you do. You drive to Oregon, you pick up Ray, and then you guys come to Mexico. Then we do this live. That would be... That anything could happen, and if if that happened, life would be be made. In you know, Oregon has some <laughs> extremely rural and and rednecky areas. I think, or even though the state, like the the cities, like Eugene and Portland, are very very um, woke, for lack of a better word, um, it, it'll take a, a a truly like I don't know something like a like a martial law or something like that to probably to make life hard enough for Ray to leave. I'm just guessing here, right? But this is so small that basically things can change here overnight. I mean, there's no, like, unlike a state which has blue and red counties, and some of them can be, like, really, really red, they can put up resistance for a while, there is nothing like this in D.C., just one entity. And the mayor does whatever the hell she wants to, and so far she's been 100% behind the official narrative. Um, no, there's nothing in the local newspapers, there are three or four of them, that I've ever seen that ever questioned the narrative or gave a voice to like a dissenting voice. It's all a hundred percent, you know, this is for our benefit. Um, we will do as we're told and so will you. <laughs> so by the end of this year, you, I will either be an Appalachian, a Mexican or, or a, a, a Bulgarian redneck reborn. <laughs> Amazing guys. Thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us on a Friday. Give this episode a like. Jordan, you, you and I are not meeting next week. Keith Littlewood is going to join me. I think we're going to do like a 10 a.m. Saturday uh, live stream. So I'll keep everybody notified. And then you'll come back at the end of the month when we talk to Ray and we'll do another uh, one of those. Um, is she going to have another newsletter or no? Or that's a, that's a great question. I don't know yet. Uh, it didn't sound like unless he like pumps one out in like a month. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he can do that. But yeah, I, those shows are so much better when we implement the the questions and so lots of those like brand new things that i've never heard ray talk about or the like uh, not, not that we've never talked about but the life after death and synchronicity and deja vu and stuff like those were from questions of the people uh that the on youtube and so that, that has really been a game changer i think these these latest rounds of ray episodes have been so much fun I mean, considering the times that we're living, I'm not surprised people are asking these transcendental questions. Yeah. You know, everybody starts to wonder, <laughs> considering that things are not looking 
yeah, <laughs> very yeah. rosy yeah, in this world. Didn't even is think there about something that. for me in the next one, or is there going to be a next one, or what's going on? <laughs> yeah, I want to know what life after death is because that looms near. <laughs> looms near, or 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 I don't particularly like yeah. <laughs> what I'm experiencing right now. Yeah, yeah true. Okay, guys, thanks again. Sincerely appreciate it. We have an amazing audience. Uh, I will stay up, do the timestamps, and then I'll be back next week with Keith, and then next week with Ray and Georgie. Georgie, thank you so much. You're my partner in crime. You make these episodes so fun to do. And 70, 71, so we're wow. g- getting up there. So thank you so much, Georgie. Uh, talk to you soon. And thank you so much, audience. And uh, we're out. We'll talk to you guys uh, later. Bye, everybody. <laughs>